uh, two of the regular panel that we have. It is the Halloween season. There is no trickery going on. Boss man sitting right next to me. All right. We mixed it up a little bit for you guys. So this is, uh, I'm Steve Trang. Um, you know, real estate disruptors, sales person here. Chris and I are going to be spending an hour with you guys answering all your questions. No holds barred. That's right. That's right. And as you mentioned, Chris Jefferson is in the building. The U fam is in the building. They're charged up. Chris, what's We're going on? We don't talk about the U fam. We just talk about Chris. <laughs> Chris Jefferson, uh, Richmond, Virginia, uh, real estate investor for 13 years. Uh, I run the U, Charged Up University. Uh, shout out to everybody, man. We uh, teach people how to go from not knowing about real estate wholesaling at all and to uh, start making money in this business and generating some wealth. There it is. There it is. So as Steve mentioned, what we're going to do today is kind of take your questions directly from the chat. So make sure you're dropping your questions throughout the show. Uh, these two gentlemen will be taking their turns in answering those questions, but we did want to start off with something a little bit different. Uh, just, I guess, give me your thoughts on the entire situation that is Kanye West right now. Well, I mean, I think first I'm going to speak very ignorantly here, right? Because I'm not following this as much as I probably uh, would want the uh, auto-tuner, auto-tuning phase, oh, right? Don't hate on the auto-tune now. Right? <laughs> uh, so, like, I mean, I kind of stopped listening after the auto-tuning phase, but I, I, I risk he's necessarily crazy. He may not be delivering it the right way. But I don't think he's necessarily crazy. I think the the big thing, and the only you know snippets I read, why is it okay, right, to to call out white people, but everyone else is off limits? Mm-hmm. Like that's the part that kind of trips me out. But I mean, again, I'm not paying enough attention to it. I think whether this is strategic or not, trying to get out of some contracts. I mean, the best way to get out of a contract is to be a poison pill, right? Like you are the poison pill. Like normally they have it. Like uh, it was like Eric Dampier with the Warriors back then, right? Like, you had to hit all these performance bonuses that he would never hit, right? Uh, so it was like a poison pill in his contract. He had to, like, discover some, like, isotope of uranium or whatever. And, like, now Kanye is the poison pill. He eliminated himself for the contract by uh, by uh, uh, changing, was it, uh, the class of character? What is it? There's some term, right? Just you got to represent yourself the right way. What are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I think the whole thing is kind of fascinating because so when I see Kanye – like I think all the way back, right? Like I think about Kanye as the producer, uh, how he had the vision, the foresight, you know, ingenuity to create like just something beautifully dope. I mean, he's curated art. Like he's a he's a curator, you know. Uh, but when I look at, I think what's happening now, I, I do think this is about contracts, right? Uh, I do think that he's created a scenario, and this is something I think we all can learn from. He's created a scenario where to get to the next level, he needed somebody to be able to do that, whether it was manufacturing, whether it's distribution uh, of his clothing, whether it was designed, because he's not a designer, right? Like, it's not like he's himself designing the clothes or the, or the, or the shoes, like he's curating the vision of it and somebody mm-hmm. else is putting all that stuff together. Um, but think about our own businesses, right? Like, I might have said this last week on here, but it's, it's almost a scenario of if you've got a sales rep that works for you and they make 15, 20% of a deal from you right and they're your top performing person like they do a phenomenally great job in sales sometimes in their mind they feel that that's the entire complexity of the business itself that hey i went and got a contract that's how we make money is getting houses under contract hey my contribution to the business is is much larger than 15 20 percent yep uh, and i think that's what a lot of this is really about as things often are i think they're about money yeah, and, and I, I heard something along the lines like he went from eleven billion dollars worth, which I can't believe that's true, right? It's just insane. 
But he went from 11 billion to like 400 million, right? Like Chase canceled him. Um, right. Adidas canceled him. Um, who else? Uh, Balenciaga. Gap. Um, Gap. And yeah, because yeah, a lot of his net worth was caught up in these, you know, valuations. So right. I think Kanye's goal was to go on media platforms because that's that. And I think it's important to point this out, like everything now, Steve, I think you're a really great example of this, too. Right. Like myself is included. The brands of the world now are created in a social dynamic of media. Right. Yep. Social media. And so I think the essence and aura of Kanye grew and got created through social media, through social context. And he's largely depended on that his entire career in order to grow his power and influence, right? Uh, you know, when you started Real Estate Disruptors, it was a show with zero subscribers. Now it's this platform and has reach and all these different things. Yeah. And now he wants to take this to the next level because, again, he's the sales rep making 15% that feels like his contribution to the business is much greater than what he's receiving. Yeah. Well, what's like, interesting, right, is... Uh, again, like if what I'm hearing is correct, and again, I'm, I'm a little ignorant here, is that if he's if he made a conscious decision to make these things happen and decrease his net worth from 11 billion to like 400 million, right? Right. Is that the right move? I'm curious. Do you think that was the right move? So now you have 100 percent of everything moving forward. No, because and that's kind of the thing, right? It's like again, it's the analogy: the sales rep leaves and says, "Hey, I'm just going to start my own business." Hmm. And they, in the reality, I've seen it time and time again in the business. They never get to where they thought they were going to go. Yeah. Because the, all they focused on was the dynamic of of their portion of the effort. They weren't paying attention to the accounting. They weren't paying attention to the taxes. Weren't paying attention to the dis, the disposition of the asset. Weren't paying attention to the transaction coordination and how do you raise money? How do you actually construct uh, do construction? Like all these different things. And so I don't think Kanye. <laughs> thought this all the way through right yeah. it's like in his mind it's like okay now i own all my ip again i own the names i own the trademarks and that sounds good i think in, a, in theory but somebody still has to do the distribution somebody still has to do the fulfillment of the right program. but he can hire some really good people with 400 million dollar net worth right i think like i'm with you and you piss people off yeah yeah people right? still because working like, think about it like this real quick like this is how simple it is in my in my mind mm -hmm. so large platform media Right. I think we could all agree historically and now is controlled uh, by groups of people that he's making some inflammatory remarks towards. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, unfortunately, he's put himself in a position, like I was saying earlier, he's discounted the social media aspect of himself and his growth. Because every large scale podcast right now, guess what? It's either owned by a large uh, media platform or will be in the very near future. Yeah. The social platforms are owned by large scale corporations that make their money from advertisers that spend way more money than Kanye West. Right. Right. And so I think he's placed himself into this vortex that I don't know if he's going to be able to shake. I don't out know. Right. Like, because he's he's going the other the opposite route. Right. Like he's going, you know, like I heard like he might be acquiring a parlor. Right. Uh, right. And, you know, who knows, right? If he gets canceled, you know, he goes to like Rumble, kind of like uh, Andrew Tate. So, you know, he's going the exact opposite of like Michael Jordan, right? Because like, remember Michael Jordan, he got uh, tor torn apart for like, you know, you're a successful black man. You need to be talking about, you know, what's going on, you know, to the black community. And his response to that is like, Republicans buy shoes too, right? So, right, right. Uh, he's, uh, um, yeah, he's going the exact opposite direction, but you know, 
going the opposite direction and being more polarizing, you actually may have even more reach because you're so different than everyone else. I agree and disagree, right? So you go the opposite direction, but if, if I'm Kanye West and I have the reach that Kanye West has, right? So I go to grassroots level and I say, hey, I want to sell a, you know, I, hey, I've designed a new sneaker. I'm going to be putting out, this is, I own the IP now. It's no Yeezy with Adidas, whatever. Well, he's Kanye West. So it's not like he's me or you, right? If I, if I design a sneaker today, it might, it might just be the U fam that buys it, right? <laughs> Shout <laughs> out to the U fam. Be, <laughs> yeah, it might, it might just be the subscribers from Real Estate Disruptors. Maybe we can figure out how to fulfill that. Yeah. Right? It's not, it's not but so much. But if you're Kanye West and the fulfillment now becomes millions of people, then, then you, can't, you can't go to the screen printing shop down the street from your house. Yeah, and some say, of the logistics. Hey. Right. And so I think the gap here is logistically for him to fulfill anything that he wants to sell because of who he is and the size of who he is. He needs a large scale com uh, corporation with the infrastructure to support that. And I think, I think he's misguided right now in what he's doing because he's alienating the people that control those things. Yeah. Um, I see a bunch of questions here. Yeah, in the chat. questions definitely are coming in. So. so while you figure out uh, one, some of the questions in the chat, I just want to share with you guys, RJ Bates, he couldn't be here. He's still working a nine to five, right, uh, for zombie houses. Uh, Brewer had a commitment and Leon is flying out to LA right now. I'm actually going to be hanging out with Leon tomorrow going to uh, I Survived Real Estate. Uh, it's an event held by uh, Bruce Norris who all this guy does is time the markets and kill it. Uh, he's the only person I know that can time the market. Uh, so we're going to his event tomorrow just kind of check that stuff out. So I just want to explain why we're here. But at the same time, you know, Chris and I are here. You know, we like to honor our commitments to our, our people, right? So um, <laughs> we're here to answer all you guys' questions. So we're making a special episode for you guys. All right. So let's do it. We got some questions coming in right now. Start at the top of the list. We have DeAndra asking, are leaders born or can they be made? Go ahead, Chris. I think both. I used to always say that they, they had, you had to be born a leader. Uh, and I believe that for a long time. But I think leadership can be built uh, over time. But I think leadership comes from hard lessons. You know, I think it comes from failure and, and, and embracing and encountering failure early and not letting failure stop your growth at any point in time, but embracing it, learning from it, and, and kind of trailblazing forward from there. So I do think leadership can be built, uh, but sometimes when you're born with it, man, it makes things a little bit easier. For sure. Yeah, I think there's some, you know, some natural innate things that are programmed within you. Uh, you know, so I think there's a little bit of nature, you know, kind of like Kobe, right? His dad was an NBA player and his uh, mom's brother was an NBA player, right? Like there's some natural stuff in there, definitely makes it easier. Uh, but I think even if you have it the, ingrained in you uh, naturally, there's a lot of programming that has to be done. So like for myself, you know, it helped that I grew up, uh, it helped that I came here as an immigrant, right? Like that definitely helps, right? Not being born in this country, naturally, I want to chase the American dream. The American dream is more important to me as an immigrant than sadly, if you're born in America, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing, growing up uh, in an Asian household, right, where uh, you had these super high expectations, right? So you got that going on. And then for myself, I'm the oldest of six boys. So my parents told me from day one, if anything happens to us, you're responsible for making sure your five brothers are successful, right? And after that, and if we, you know, everything is fine, you're responsible for taking care of us when we get old, 
right? Like being the oldest and then all those, you know, playing basketball all these years, we're always referencing basketball, but you learn so many leadership skills playing a team sport. So oh, I, yeah. I think there's a lot of, there's a good amount of nature, but the nature is, is worthless if you don't have the programming from nurture. Yeah, real quick, man. Um, I love what you just said because I've got this thing where I feel like everybody should have to play a team sport. Like, I feel like it should just be a requirement as a part of education that everyone has to participate in a team activity <clears throat> because being on a team teaches you how to be selfless. It teaches you about leadership and it helps with a lot of that programming, I think. Uh, because I, I do realize, and it took me a long time to get here too, but true leadership, in my opinion, man, is in the team itself, right? It's not in any one person. You've actually helped contribute to this thought. Last time I came to your office, we were kind of hanging out. You were showing me around the new spot and some different things. And, you know, people like Ryan Pineda hanging out with him and a couple just different stuff. And you start to see it. It's like, yeah, the, the leadership is in the team itself, right? Because if you can program and create an environment where everybody feels that they are leaders, um, then everybody then starts to assume the responsibility of leadership, which yeah. means, you know, I care about the person beside me just as much as I care about myself. Uh, and I think that's that's something that you learn from playing sports that a lot of people, you know, uh, sometimes maybe don't get. So I got a, an interesting story about competition. Don't let me forget, but I want to hear Weasel Sauce on this. Yeah. Okay. Well, in my expertise, in my experience, okay, I think I think definitely there's a personality aspect to it that you are a natural born leader. You get that right, but I think uh, mostly your experience will help yeah. you qualified. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me to be a leader. So I think that's how you can mold. Yeah, a because I mean, even if you're not like a leader within uh, at at the top by title, right? Like you know the way we preach it here, right? Everyone's a leader here, right? Right? Like we say, like if you don't, if there's a problem, you don't speak up. Like that means that you've decided that the it's not worth it to the company to make it better, right? So, like, everyone has to speak up here. So yeah. you're all leaders here. You just may not have the title. I think there's also a slight misconception that a leader is the leader always. Right. Certain people can lead well depending on what the situation is. Yeah. So, Chris, just to counter your, your thing about uh, everyone should play on a team sport, because I love this idea. Um, yeah. So I had a somewhat diverse high school experience, you know. I, w you know, I tried – Tried out for the sports, always got cut. Um, and then I was in like uh, the uh, actors, what do you call them? You know, all those film kids, right? Um, <laughs> drama club? Yeah. Drama club, there you go. Drama yeah, club. I was Wait, in, I, Steve, you were, you were in drama club? I was in speech and debate. I was in theater for a minute. And, uh, you know, you experience like just, this is not a competitive group, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, so when I was in uh, college, I had to go to, I had to take some humanities classes and we had to brought up, the, comp the conversation was like, you know, are people naturally competitive or is it ingrained? Just like we're talking about leadership, right? And I made the comment that almost got me killed, which was like, the only people that aren't competitive are losers because they never had tasted winning. And man, <laughs> the daggers that were coming from everybody. So what, what, was, what was the other side of the perspective, right? Like what was the, what was the other side of the thought? Uh, the other side is that it's nurtured, right? Like we can live in a society where there's no competition. Right, it's just like utopian society where everyone just cares for one another and no one's out for themselves. Yeah, but that's just uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, and that, but that's where it also gets tough. I saw, I see where you're going with that, right? Yeah. But that's what makes it tough because all things don't apply in all places either. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I don't think that a utopian society would be uh, that fun. Um, <laughs> to, to we, we've all seen those TV shows and movies. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if we want to ever have that for sure. Sounds boring. Oh, we're on our way. Just move to California Sounds and check boring. it out. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we, we got all right. We got some good questions in here. Let's go top home buyers. Let's address this one really quickly. Yeah. How are y'all adjusting numbers or adjusting offer numbers for this market? Man, so uh, I'll I'll take the lead on this one. So for us, you know, we have to come in way way lower than we were before. You know, like if I contracted a property at seventy eight percent of ARV, regardless of repairs, <laughs> how crazy we were. We could still make a 15K assignment fee. Now we got to be at 70 at most minus repairs, minus our fees. Now, here's the thing I want to uh, touch on this, top home buyers, because you, the way you're asking the question, I think it, it kind of goes against our sales process. And our sales process is we don't make offers. Our sales process, you tell me what you want, and I'll let you know whether I'll pay it or not, right? So if you're making offers, you're saying the number first. You can't not say the number first if you're making offers whereas i say hey chris you know how much are you hoping to walk away with right we're not talking about how much you want for the house right we're just saying how much you want to walk away with there's no anchor atta attached to how much you're looking at hoping to walk away with but if i say how much you want for your house there's an anchor you got zillow you got Riffin, my realtor uh all these other guys tell me how much they're going to offer you got all these high anchors that are killing you hey chris how much are you going to need for you Hey man, make me an offer, man. <laughs> so, but I, and then I'm not saying that you don't ever make offers, right? My point is that you should never be saying, I'm willing to pay this amount because you're going to overpay for some houses and not overpay in that uh, you're paying too much for the house, but overpay in that you left money on the table. So I, I, I like this because uh, I teach it the opposite way, right? Like I, I teach to drop in a price anchor, um, but take the, take the, responsibility of the anchor so of the offer off of you directly yeah uh you know people always don't like the deliverer of the information mm -hmm. uh, when they believe that you're responsible for the information be delivered because they f see you as the decision maker right uh, so i kind of teach it from the perspective of backing into it from uh you know i'm, I'm in you know I'm, i represent the business like i'm a salesperson in the business i'm approved by my finance team for x amount of dollars mm -hmm. I like to negotiate. Like, I, I think that, and, and you know this, right? Because I think you are know rather that you believe the same thing. Like, sales is, is, is art. Like, it's an art form, really. It is. Uh, and it takes time to develop it. It takes time to kind of really figure it out. But at the end of the day, if you can get in without somebody feeling like you're the decision maker, but you're there to assist and serve them in making the decision. Yeah. Uh, I, but you can do it both ways. You can okay. definitely do it 100%. Well, before. I just think it's easier to start from zero than to start from the top. Right. Yeah, but we're also, Steve, if you think about it, because I'm seeing it now as a, we're in a moment in time, I think, where we're in a gap period, really. Oh, yeah. Because massive gap the, period. Yeah, because like in our world as real estate investors, anybody watching this is probably in this world too. When I go on Facebook, what's everybody talking about? I mean, the recession, the market, interest rates, supply, interest rates. We're all talking about that. But everyday people are not talking about this shit. No, it doesn't uh, matter to them. Yeah, this is not a kitchen table conversation right now because because it hasn't reached it's it's a pain point for us right now because it's directly affecting us in our business. Right. But the average American has not yet become directly affected and media has not told them yet either mm -hmm. in full in full spirit that they need to feel affected. Right. Yeah. Uh, be, so people's asking prices for their homes have not gotten down to where investors need to purchase them at. 
because people are still lacking awareness of the market. So like I'm doing seller finance deals right now and I got sellers still offering me two to 4% interest rates mm-hmm. because they don't, they, they're not looking for a mortgage right now. So they don't know rates are at 8%. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's not in the news. So you got to find the ways right now, I think, to use everything to your advantage. Well, and, and just going back to your point, right? If you're not looking to buy or sell, what the hell do you care about the market? It doesn't right. matter, right? But you and I, the analogy I've used is, you know, we're, we're, we make a living based off transaction volume, right? So we're like the, the comparison I would say is like, we're like a shark, right? If we're not swimming, mm-hmm. we're not breathing. If we're not breathing, we're dying. So we need to be constantly swimming. And the way we swim is we do deals. No doubt. Right. So that's why everyone, all our peers on Facebook are, are, are freaking out right now. Here's the thing, though. You know, what's a word that was like a big buzzword, huge buzzword, you know, for the last year and a half, two years that you don't hear anymore? What's that? Scale. How do I scale my business? How do I grow <laughs> my business? No one's talking about that right now, right? Remember but, when every, every ad in the whole industry yeah. was how to scale, how to scale, how to scale? Yeah, right. And so right now, who's doing the best or who's hurting the least? The people that didn't scale. I agree with that. Right? I, I, I got overhead, that. right? If I'm not doing deals, I'm hurting. But if you're a solopreneur, right, and you don't have a lot of marketing expense, one wholesale deal takes care of two or three months of expenses. All right, let's stay here for a quick second, man. This is great. <laughs> so why, Steve, then? Because I think, we, I think we're, we're uh, not me, because I wasn't complicit, all right? But I think <laughs> a lot of marketers were very guilty, a lot mm-hmm. that have also been on your platform, too, right? Yeah and pushing the narrative of scale, 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 scale. Mm-hmm. And I do agree, right? You got people that got 20, 30 employees and just whatever else that are having cut back, yada, yada, yeah. yada. And I'm in this category, right? Like I'm not removing myself from this. Right. And yeah. so that's why I want to ask you. So it's, what what do you think the people should really understand about making money in the business and remove the thought of having to scale? Like, how do you see that? Because I think people don't think they can make money if they don't. So I had this uh, uh, realization. I, I started learning from a couple of different guys outside our industry, uh, and what they talk a lot about is uh, you know having a solvable problem, going closer to your goals versus more. And the problem that a lot of us have is that we're not clear, crystal clear, on what we want. Right? If we're crystal clear on what we want, then we know exactly how to get there. And like a GPS, right? Google Maps, it can tell you exactly where to go. It can tell you when you're off track. Well, for us, our default is more because we don't know what we want. So if we don't know what we want, then all I can do is compare myself to Chris, compare myself to RJ, compare myself to Eric. I like what he's got. He seems like he's got a good thing. How do I get more of that? Versus being crystal clear on what does Chris want, right? What do I want? And for me, I just want to be able to have a good family, right? Have my kids grow up to be um, well-grounded, to have a purpose, right? I don't need them to be happy. I don't need them to be rich, right? I just want them to be well-grounded, well-adjusted, and have purpose. Because if, they, if they're well-adjusted, they will be happy. And they won't have to chase money, right, for happiness. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we've all, over the years, gotten a bit too caught up in, uh, you know, where I'm from, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, you yeah. Know? Um, and it's like this thought of what does that person have that I want? And you don't even actually know if you even want it. Yeah. You, you think you want this huge operation, this huge business, but you don't know all the stuff that goes into having to even deal with it. That owner might not even be making any money really. Oh, with that huge operation. You might be made, you might be making more than that owner right now, 
with a three-man team than mm -hmm. the person with 30 employees and you have no concept of that reality. So I agree with you what you're saying. Like I, I try to teach my students, what's your ideal life at the end of the day? Exactly. Right? Like you don't need to have a bunch of money. You don't have to have a bunch of money. And it's okay if you do want that. But what do like you said, what do what do you want? What kind of car do you want to be able to drive? What kind of house do you want to be able to live in? What type of vacation is it that you want to be able to take, you know, one day, how frequently, whatever? And then what does that cost? Like, what does that life cost to have? Do you want your kids to be able to have tutors? Do you want them to be able to go into the top schools? Like, you got to back into this as a, like, as a reverse engineer practice. Like, what does that life cost me? Yeah. And then what type of business do I need to develop to support that life specifically? My, uh, uh, my best friend, he's my accountability partner. You know, we've known each other since seventh grade, right? And uh, he just told me yesterday he got some stupid number offer for his company. I was like, that's awesome right like you're gonna be my private money lender like you just don't know it yet right <laughs> uh but he got some stupid offer i was like okay so like what's your plan after you, you sell your company he's like well instead of working 40 hours a week i'm gonna work 30 hours a week and it's like well i didn't hear you say anything about your family he's like that's because my family's good i work 40 45 hours a week and i spend all my time with my family it's like what are you gonna do with your other 10 hours then he's like me time right i'm gonna play more basketball maybe pick up a different sport pick up a different hobby but those extra 10 hours is for me. And it's awesome that he's got that clarity, right? No doubt. Because for us, right, we get a large sum of money. We're thinking, what's the next thing we're going to conquer? That's the default. We always want more. Yeah, man. Yeah. So like you said, keeping nah, up with the Joneses. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, laughed 100%. when you said, um, when you said, I don't need my kids to be rich and happy. Like At first, I chuckled. But then like to, to Chris's point about keeping up with the Joneses, I grew up with a very infamous saying being heard repeatedly it's more money more problems mm -hmm. you may think you want a million but do you want the million dollar problems yeah. i want Sounds the million weird. dollar problems <laughs> no you say you want it now we'll wait till you get those million dollar problems and it'll change a little bit we got they're definitely they're definitely expensive problems man oh. i can tell you that for yeah. sure Already. and and they're problems that can potentially wipe you out <laughs> all right we got a couple questions backed up so let's try to go through these yeah. rapid fire um deandra asked yeah. what advice do you have for introverts trying to step into a leadership role i like that question uh, are you an introvert, Chris? I'm like a, uh, you know, like I'm a, I'm like a, a hidden introvert, man. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm social, right? I think people see me and I'm very social and, you know, I'm around people a lot of times and different things. But I mean, really, I mean, I'm like in the house all the time. I got like a couple of restaurants I go to, one place I go to hang out. So I, I consider myself an introvert, but somewhat of an extrovert as well. So what advice are you giving um, yeah, I mean, you know, to assume a leadership role, I think it goes back to what I said earlier. You just got to build out a team. Like, so, because you're going to have weaknesses when it comes to leadership than if you are an introvert. Yeah. And so how can you surround yourself with the people around you? Like, somebody's got to go raise money and be charismatic and make people like them. You know, uh, if, if you're not that person, like, somebody's got to do it. Because, like, a lot of these big companies, they got people on staff. That's all they do is go out, build relationship capital and raise money. Like, that's their whole job. Is to do that so i think it just you can get there but you got to build out a team for it yeah so for myself right um people may not realize it but i'm actually a pretty extreme introvert you know like uh if i'm at a party and i don't know anybody and it's like a regular function like my wife's like hey we need to go to the company my company you know or uh, event i am totally content just sitting in the corner of the room eating chips drinking fruit punch or whatever and just leave me alone right <laughs> i just don't want to interact with other human beings um but being an entrepreneur, you don't have a choice. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. So 
I actually asked Austin McCurdy. Uh, he's helped us, you know, with predictive index. And I asked him, like, look, according to this chart, I am at like the bottom 20% when it comes to like introversion. Like I am very introverted. How does this make sense? Right. And he's like, oh, it's easy. Your desire to win is so strong that you just walk over all the discomfort. It's like, cool. That makes sense to me. Right. So if there's a way I can win, there's a way that we can win. I'm uncomfortable. I'm getting out of that zone. But if I'm, uh, if I'm, if there's nothing to be gained here, man, leave me alone. Like, let me put up my shell. <laughs> All right, let me just hide over here in the corner. There's no growth in comfort. There's no comfort in growth. So if you're uncomfortable, yeah. I think that's something you should be chasing. All right. Uh, is CJ Seamoss said, is Versium a good skip tracing company? I'm not. Yeah, I've never used them. I know what he's talking about. Okay. I've never used them personally, so I couldn't, uh, couldn't say. Um, yeah, I recommend using Batch personally. It is uh, is what I use for skip tracing. Shout out to Batch, uh, Steve. I don't know who you're using on your end, but I use Skip like Fast. That. It's the best skip tracing service. It's a white. It's my white label for Batch. So, <laughs> <laughs> top home buyers. Skipfast.com. Go check it out. There it is. There you go. There you go. <laughs> top home buyer said, "Are y'all noticing any drop in ROI for cold calling in comparison to texting and PPC?" He's noticed some larger wholesale companies dropped CC. And double down on PPC. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of people having success with PPC right now because a lot of our competitors have gone away. However, all our stuff right now is coming from cold calling, right? I mean, we're doing 100% cold calling right now. I'm not saying it's the best way to do it. I'm just, you know, being vulnerable here. I got a massive gut punch for several months here in the summer months, and we depleted a good chunk of our cash reserves, right? So we cut back on marketing. I know that goes against everything we know. At the same time, you know, we got to survive. So right now, everything we're doing is cold calling, and um, it's it's turning into leads, it's turning into appointments, it's turning into contracts. Like, we just got one right now. Uh, we locked it up last week. Uh, I think ARV is between 700 and a mil. We can't say for sure. Uh, we locked it for 350 and we're wholesaling for 500 right? Like, that was a cold call lead. So right now, we're all on cold calling. I'm not saying that's the right thing, for sure. I'm just saying that's what we're doing. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm not doing PPC. I know a lot of people doing it. Um, here's the thing I, I want to make sure people understand about PPC. Like, that's an expensive game. Uh, so if you are, you know, a one-man, two-man shop and you're trying to do, or one-woman, two-woman shop, and you're trying to do PPC, you're likely not even going to have the budget to support it, just being, you know, just being straight up. Uh, it, it takes big money to play PPC. Um, I really love cold calling, uh, 110%. Uh, I love cold calling and I love text messaging. And the reason being is it's just the depth of the reach, right? It's prospecting at the end of the day. So you're not, it's PPC is inbound. Like you're creating, people are looking, are finding you that are looking for you. Uh, cold calling and, and text messaging is I'm coming to your neighborhood and I'm looking for you. Right. Like you didn't come to find me. I came to find you. And I like that approach because while it's aggressive, um, to Steve's point, if you work through it with that understanding, you can create your own flow of business. Like if I'm doing PPC, uh, I kind of at the same time got to like wait for stuff to come in. Right. And in, in the context of whatever my budget level is. And so with cold calling and SMS, like I, I can go after you. We just bought 18,000 leads uh, a couple of weeks ago. We haven't even worked fully through the lead yet. And on that 18,000 uh, so far, 81 leads have been produced. 
just and that was just from cold calling. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it definitely works. Okay. Uh, Deandra asks, "What's the biggest mistake you made while scaling your business, and what's your biggest takeaway or piece of advice for newbies while scaling?" Oh man, for me, and th- again, this is like maturity, right? It takes like I mean, I've been doing this for over fifteen years now, so we just screwed up a lot over and over and over again. <laughs> Uh, the biggest lesson I've learned in scaling my business is to slow down. You know, um, I kind of shared with that, you know, and our, we had our state of the union meeting, uh, a week and a half ago. And really like last year I was like, we're crushing it. We're crushing it. Like, let's go all in on media. And we expanded our suite, right? <laughs> Built out this studio, got seven guys on payroll. And uh, when the market got tight, it's like, oh crap. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I think a lot of it has to do with just um, leading with revenue. And it's so hard to be that disciplined. You know, I ran Profit First really well for a couple years. You know, like um, for the Profit First book, David Richter, go check it out. He wrote the book Profit First for Real Estate Investors. I ran a very disciplined financial business for some time. And then things got so good. I was like, you know what? We can, instead of just taking some small steps, let's go ahead and take a big step here. And man, we were not ready to pivot when the market shifted. I mean, fortunately, uh, we have people within the organization leading us the right way to make sure that we don't, you know, don't get harmed too much. Uh, the, the analogy I said, or the, what the statement I said is like, you know, um, our finances right now are less bad. <laughs> it's not like it's great. It's just less bad. That's the win for the quarter, you know. So I think the biggest thing is just being aware, uh, giving yourself permission to be disciplined, to lead with revenue, slow down. Don't grow so fast. Take smaller steps. Don't take gigantic steps, which is the opposite of what everyone tells you. Everyone says, go all in. Burn the boats. Right? That's what everyone says. Who knows how many people have burned the boats and never came back? Yeah, so I just spent two hours earlier today with some of my students talking about this exact topic, uh, which is kind of ironic. Uh, just speaking from my own failures, my own stuff you know, that I've had to deal with over the years. And... I would try to keep it as short as I can, but it's, it's, I realize it's the concept of looking at how businesses function the wrong way. And what I mean by that is we're not always aware, I think, of how businesses function now. And what I mean by that is, so like when you get into something like wholesaling or even just real estate investing, you're often trying to take from the little cup that you've already got and you're trying to create something larger from it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And so even when it comes to scaling, it's the same concept where what I, what I do know now and what I practice in the last, really since 2017, I ran into hardships in 2017 in business, significant hardships, like almost bankrupt. And so when I had to rebuild from there, I just took a different look at it. I just said like, how do companies build now? And when I thought about that, I realized a very simple, simple thing. Companies now build infrastructure and processes first. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, The old way to build a business was to build the product or the service first. And so what people and then you figure out the infrastructure, you figure out the processes as you go. And that's like ninety nine percent of us. Like we just get started and we knock on doors, we cold call. And then as we want to scale, we're like, oh, like, let me figure this out now. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I do this? How do let me hire a sales coach? Let me hire Chris Jeffers or whatever. But then if you go look at like how real businesses get built now, like how real businesses get built is they go get money first. Mm-hmm. They go find a source of money first, whether it's an angel investor, whether it's a VC. They don't, some of these businesses don't even turn profits ever or for years, right? Right. Because 
all they're doing is investing into human capital, meaning employees, right? The infrastructure of the business itself, you know, any logistics. Uh, and then they're, they're, and they're growing and scaling from there, right? Like, how do we build out our processes? How do we build this out? Let's put the money on that up front. Because once we can establish that, then the business itself becomes predictable. All we got to do is now build ourselves to fulfill the product, right? Yeah. And so now once you're built to fulfill, then you really can start to scale by just having traction from marketing and the sales component of it. But I look at business a lot different now. Yeah, but I think I'm about building the process first and then putting the, the, the traffic on top of it. I love everything you're saying. The, the challenge I have with this, right, is like you've never done a wholesale deal before. How can you get someone to fund your operation? Um, another thing, too, is like we all struggle. Not all. A lot of people struggle from analysis paralysis. Right? right. And so like, it's hard for me to say what I'm saying right now, because how many of our friends just went out there and screwed up and made it <laughs> right? Like there's yeah, you, there's right. me, right? There's Carlos, right. there's RJ, uh, you know, Eric, there's like so many people that just went out and screwed up and made it yeah. right. So I, it's hard for me to reconcile, but it's yeah, what I believe I'm now. Definitely, I'm definitely one of those people for sure. Uh, I mean, I started my early twenties, man, doing this thing. And uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know up from down, left from right. I was just essentially winging it on the fly uh, and started making some money. But I think what I like, what I would apply now, if you don't have any money to start, you got to do that way. Like yeah. that's, there's no option. But once you do get that first deal, it's like, I see students of mine that close 20, 30, 40, $50,000 deals. They got new cars, they got new apartments, they got new clothes they got new whatever no judgment shout out to the family no judgment right but what i quiet judgment what I know, quiet judgment <laughs> quiet judgment quiet judgment but what i know now is how simplistic it is to take that first 20 30 40 50 000 and then throw it all on infrastructure and process and do it the right way from the start yeah yeah absolutely right that was a gem right there all right cmos says as a beginner in wholesaling what list would you first get between high equity or low equity properties Hopefully they're asking that correctly. Yeah. Take it, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I, everything's starting to be low equity here pretty soon, but <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I mean, in all seriousness, I'm going to go after high equity first, of course. I mean, high equity is going to have the most spread, uh, low, low equity. You can create deals from low equity, but it takes a different type of skill set that I don't think everybody's going to have or, or should be expected to have starting out. So you shouldn't always go after high equity in my opinion or free and clear. Yeah. So for me, I would say if you're starting, generally speaking, the more important thing you do is get chunks of cash. So there's more opportunity in high equity. At the same time, the competition is significantly stiffer, right? You got everyone calling, texting, mailing this person, right? Some people door knocking this person. So with high equity, when you bring it across the finish line, the payoff is significantly better. Low equity, you got less competition, but you got to be more skilled, right? Whether it's creative, novations, or whatever. If you don't have an exit strategy for low equity, which is pretty pretty much creative or novations, you're gonna struggle with with low equity. So, I think the other thing too is to comp uh, is to consider what your out desired outcome is. You know what I'm saying here speaks is for the is for the Phoenix market, right? I'm not as terribly interested in low equity deals in Phoenix market because cash flowing is not a big thing here in Phoenix. Well, if you're in the Midwest, then you could just cash flow all day 
then go after those low equity, low equity lists and get skilled at creative financing, right? So I think there's some market specifics or your situation specific in what you're trying to do. And again, again that got, kind of goes back to earlier what we were saying, right? What are you trying to accomplish for your life? Yeah. Good points. All right. Uh, Jasmine asks, what specific websites slash social media accounts are you using to stay ahead of the curve? Go ahead, Steve. What social media? Was it? Yeah. What, what specific websites and social media accounts are you using to stay ahead of the curve? So I guess more informative than anything. Um, so I'm not really paying attention to any websites or, or, or media per se. I, I would say I'm predominantly uh, comparing and having conversations with, um, with my peers, you know. Uh, we, uh, a few weeks ago, we had Tina Tambor here, right? She is the analyst, right, for the Phoenix housing market. Uh, I'm in Collective Genius. So in that Facebook group, people are consistently posting, like, you know, here's what might be happening with, uh, with interest rates. Uh, here's what's happening with uh, uh, the Fed or the, you know, apartments or whatever. Just tidbits of information that's kind of trickling in. So for me, I would say that's what I'm really looking at. I'm not looking at any particular media uh or it's just as media right any, i'm not looking yeah. at any particular media or website i am i would say i am so skeptical right i am so skeptical <laughs> that i am skeptical of the skeptics right <laughs> like if you're skeptical i'm like what's your agenda right so for me like i don't trust anybody so really i just kind of compile all the, all the information can kind of compare it does this make sense with what i know of the world that's kind of the direction i go with that yeah, Weasel, I already know Steve is the guy that, you know, floats into the office daily and he's got like the conspiracy theory book like tucked under his armpit <laughs> and he's he's telling you about all this stuff and you're like, yeah, man, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I agree with, I agree a lot with what Steve said in all seriousness, but I don't know. I'm kind of a nerd, man. I, uh, I've got like this practice that I've been doing for like 10 plus years or so. Um, so every day I look at the Wall Street Journal, look at the Washington Post, uh, the Miami Herald, the um, L.A. Times and the New York Times. And my goal with that is I go through uh, the, the U.S., uh, the world, the, the political section and then the business sections and I'm looking through headlines and I'm just trying to get a grasp on uh, what seems to be going on. Right. And then what topics or things are happening or being spoken about, whether accurately or inaccurately, that I need to be doing a little bit more deeper research on uh, to gain some understanding. But I do agree with Steve fully, though, about peer-to-peer uh, -peer discussion because, you know, to really, I think, know what's happening somewhere, like, you got to talk to the people that are in play. Yeah. Um, They're experiencing it. Yeah, people that are actually in the mix. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're going to get it way faster from the people in the business than you will reading about it. And you know, just going back to my point yeah. earlier, there's only one section I trust in the newspaper, right? If I was to pick up a newspaper, there's only one section I would trust. And that's the box scores right from last night's game. That's it. <laughs> the box scores from last night's games, beyond that, I think everything else is, they're lying to me about something. You know, what's funny, CJ, is it's actually opposite. See, we in the media team, we're the conspiracy theorists because we think he's a reptilian, secretly. But, you know. Another podcast. Me and Zuckerberg. Me and Zuckerberg are lizard, <laughs> he, are lizard he people. Might be one of the, uh, he might be one of those T2 guys, man. The Terminator guy or something, man. He, he just I've, glitches when he laughs sometimes. I'd be a lot more, I would be a lot more cut if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you both. Man. All right. Let's see. What do we got here? Uh, close out soon. Get a couple more questions in. Um, Jasmine asks, what is the most important lesson you've learned in your leadership roles? That's a good one. A lot of leadership questions. I like it. 
Uh, Steve, go ahead. Or oh. CJ, go ahead. Let's go, Chris. Failure's going to happen. You know, like I had something happen with, in, in my business in the past week and a half or week, and uh, it was a failure point. And uh, there was a time in my life where like failure was this thing that I needed to constantly avoid, this thing that I couldn't embrace, this thing that I feared on a daily basis. Like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this is said or that is said? And now I'm just in a state of like constantly seeking it out. You know, like I feel like that's really the, the lesson for me in life so far professionally has been where is the failure at? Like how, how fast can we find it? How fast can we run to it? Because as soon as we get to it, then everything becomes easier from there. We just look at what's happened. We don't take it emotionally. We rebuild it. We fix it. And we press on. And, and doing that and having that practice over the last few years, man, it's been transformed in my life and business 100%. So, uh, Jasmine, I love this question because I think leadership is the single most important skill of all the skills, right? I teach sales, right? I think leadership is the most valuable skill. And leadership really is just another form of sales, right? Because you're you're selling your people on you and, and the vision of the company and this and that. Uh, but I would say I've been a nerd on leadership probably for 10 plus years, right? Whether it's John Maxwell, Darren Hardy, or some other material out there on, on leadership. And what I have learned is leadership is hard as hell, right? And the things you learn to be true are not true. And the example I would compare it to is like when we first, when in elementary school, right? Like Christopher Columbus, you know, he, he sailed the ocean blue and discovered America, this and that. And like, he was a hero. And you get to college, like, oh my God, he was a murderer and a rapist. And like, he was an awful human being. And now you're reading, it's like, well, was that actually true? Like, we don't really know, right? But the point is, like, what we know at one point in our career is no longer true at another point of our career. And then what's true then is no longer true when you get later on in your career. Like, there are so many things I thought was true as a leader that I got wrong so many times, but it's what I learned. And so I think as far as learning leadership or the, what you're, where you're going to fail in leadership is that you're not going to get it right. All you can do is just continue to get better. You're going to hurt people. I have. I've hurt a lot of people, not by design, just failing as a leader, but you're going to get better. You just have to keep keep progressing. I like. I got a question for you real quick, Steve. Yeah. I, I feel a lot about the same way about what you just said. What What do you think that turn point is? Like, what is the, how do you get that situational awareness, I guess, when you lack the business experience in the beginning? Um, I think how do you, how, how you get that awareness? I think first you read about it, right? I, I think that's the first part. I, I think you read about it. I think you have some mentors who can point out your blind spots, you know, having yeah. a coach or a mentor to help you along the way. Um, and you just continue growing. I mean, like I, last year was a really good year for us financially, right? I knew I was going to have a fat tax bill coming. So I spent a large chunk of money on Larry Yatch, right? Uh, Navy SEAL guy. And like, I thought I was a good leader. And he came in and man, he reset all <laughs> our knowledge. So, you know, if you guys haven't had a chance, you know, he was, a, he, he did a Disruptors podcast with us. He wrote a book, How Leadership Actually Works. I highly recommend that book to give you some additional insight into leadership. But I think the first thing is to be aware. And then you might not do it right, but if you're aware, at least you'll know afterwards what you got wrong that you can fix it. Facts. Yeah. Um, all right. CJ, I think you said you had a few more minutes, right? Was... Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm all good right, for cool. a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and go to Cheryl Invest, Invest asks, in terms of scaling, 
what advice do you have for those looking to learn about and progressing into commercial real estate? Hmm, good question. Um, so for me, and I think this has been said before, is you just got to find someone that's doing it, <coughs> right? You just got to find someone that's doing it and succeeding in it. You know, oftentimes we try to uh, innovate something we haven't mastered yet, right? Like, I'm going to come in and do it this way. We'll go back to, um, you know, was it professional rapper, Little Dicky? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, I'm trying to change the game. <laughs> right? And so the dog's like, you haven't even been in the game yet. How are you going to try to change it? Right? Good point. So, you know, so many of us, we try to come in here and we try to change things before we uh, even understand it, before we even master it, right? So I would say we're going in, to, in there to learn about it. I would go and find the best at it, right? Across the country, not in your market. I would find the best at it and do what I can to learn from them. Yeah. I, what Steve said, right? Like my life changed when I understood the concept of what he just said, you know, before it was always this mission to go figure it out myself or to figure it out for free or to find it somewhere I could copy and paste it from or whatever. And when the mental shift occurred, like, wait, there's people out here that I can go literally pay and they'll tell me their entire business model step by step and then also support me in fulfilling it. I just need to find the money to pay them, you know, like when I got into buying multifamily, right. It was, I bought a course, I went to the masterminds, I did the whole thing. And then six or eight months later, bought an apartment complex and it was way more simple than I anticipated it to ever be. But I would have never known that had I not just paid this person for information, started attending the classes and doing exactly what they said. So go buy the information and follow it to the, to the T if the person's successful with it and, and have success with, with what it is you want to do, in this case, commercial. And that's the key, right? Follow to the T, because I am the idiot who will learn that information from Chris. Like, let me cater it for me, <laughs> right? So I'll follow it to a T. The other thing, too, you know, I'm not speaking for people that are listening here, because, I, you know, the people that are following us obviously, you know, recognize the value of education and so on. But when I first started in 2007, like, why should I pay this guy? If he's so successful, why is he charging money for this? Why isn't he doing it for free? Right. Or I go try to do it myself and figure it out myself because I don't want to pay somebody. I think I lost three or four years of progress because I oh, didn't want to spend money on that. Man, that's tough. I, well, that three, pains me three or four years of my progress, not even like the 10 years I would have gained from learning from somebody else. Go ahead. No, nah, it just pains me when this comes up, man, because I, I suffered the same thing. It took me two years to do my first deal that I literally could have just figured out how to buy the information to do it and just followed exactly what was said. And I would have been doing deals way prior to when I started. And just like, just so many times in life, man, early on in my business career, just having this weird thought that like, you could just figure it out. Like it was just gonna naturally kind of fall in place or yeah, I've suffered through that, man. It's just go get the information, follow it, implement it, make it work. Like, don't take it like you said, and you get the info and you're like, yeah, like this guy obviously knows what he's doing, but. I don't know. Like, I think I should do this with it anyway. Like, yeah. this makes sense to me. And it's like, but you don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> Another thing, too, I remember uh, when we were doing uh, We Live 19, right? I went to yeah. at Max's event. And he was like, people were saying, like, you're charging too much for the event or something. Like, they were, like, complaining. Or, no, they couldn't travel, right? It was, like, 400 for the event and, like, airfare. And I love what he said. He went and, like, did a live. He's like, you're telling me there is nothing in your house you can't sell to invest in yourself to change your life? It's like, damn, that's hard. That's Max. I've come to learn. <laughs> <laughs> right. No doubt. 
but it's like, yeah, do you want it? Or you don't want it, right? It's true. That's, I mean, it's true. Yeah, you got to be willing to give stuff up. Right. Uh, two more quick questions, and then we'll call it a wrap. Um, Hicks Residential asks, how many markets do you currently invest in? Uh, I mean, Phoenix and Tucson, and I don't know if you want to consider it two different markets because it's like it's driving distance, right? Like it's an hour 15 from here. So Phoenix and Tucson, we did uh, Oklahoma. We did uh, New Mexico. Uh, we just weren't prepared for it. We were not, we were not prepared to scale. Uh, I mean, we went hard, right? We, went, we were spending 15K a month off the bat, right, marketing in those markets, and we were not equipped for it. We didn't learn that until later on. So I think master your market. I know Chris has a different perspective. For me personally, I think master your market. Once you master your market, then you go to other markets. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of now, Steve, though, a bit in the in-between, and I'll, I'll kind of explain why. So I think we started, we were at <clears throat> last year, I think we were in 11 markets or something like that, maybe a little bit more than that, actually. And uh, we're actually now scaling that down uh, quite a bit uh, because, you know, like – I it's more respect now, I think, on this on the scalability of things. And what I mean is, you know, as you try to scale, you think that you have to go out, like you have to go wider to get more money when really you can just go deeper to get more money. Yeah. And so what I'm doing is in my own businesses right now, it's narrowing out the market to a tighter to, to a tighter fit to what fully serves me and my business and whatever extra strategies that I'm currently running. And I'm staying fluid with that also. Like I'm not married to any one market other than what I call like my hub market, which is Richmond, Virginia and the 757 Virginia Beach area. You know, I'll never leave these two markets. I know, you know, it feels like every street with the back of my hand and every player and lender. And so maybe I'll never leave this, this hub, but I'm, I'm very fluid now in how I work a business in other markets. So I don't even, I don't know if I even look at it anymore. Like I'm in, xyz market it's just where am i doing business at today yeah and i'm kind of curious right like you know as far as the question of how many markets you know what the motivation what the question is behind that because i'm sure there's more to it one thing i'll add we talked we touched on this earlier but I, I didn't really touch on it uh then is that who do you know that scales and the percentage of profitability grows you name one person man that's actually all right that's some game right there steve yeah. i don't know if people know about how this actually works I don't know if people know that as you scale, your take-home margin compresses greatly. Yeah. Uh, most people ha have no concept that this is how it works. This is a phenomenally great point. This is, I think, the best point of the entire conversation, yeah. quite frankly. Everybody says scale, and in their mind, they say scale because they think they make more. Well, the top line grows. Scale. Right, exactly. <laughs> so top-line rev increases massively. I've dealt with this myself, right? Like yeah. top-line revenue goes insane. And then you've, I remember one year we did like a little over 10 million in sales, uh, real estate wise. And my take home was less than 200 grand. Yeah. Right. Like my personal, in my, in, I had people on my team that made more than me. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, scaling does not mean always uh, more money. Uh, yeah. Sure. Like what you can do with an organization where you got one acquisition manager and one disp disposition manager, right? The kind of profits you can make, or you can have three acquisition managers, maybe two disposition managers, a lead manager. And then one sales manager who has to watch all of that. And then one COO has to watch all of that. Like there's so many people that you have to pay on top of the additional marketing <laughs> you got to get. And you got the 80-20 situation, right? Where only <laughs> one out of your five people are going to be any good. So like you got all these things working against you numerically. But you know, 
Yeah, because the, 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 the fulfillment cost on the business, the expense increases massively. Right. Right? Like massive increase in expense. So top line rev does grow and you do scale, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, but in reality, man, like you're working way more. Uh, it's just a tough overall scenario. Yeah, I remember that. looking around the table one time. I was at a different mastermind. This is back in the realtor days, right? Like there was a time in my life where I was one of the top uh, 40 realtors in the Phoenix market, right? And I'm looking around the table and like everyone's like complaining, right? These are successful realtors in the market and they're complaining that their take home's not that good, right? And that was the, that was what I needed to hear to realize scaling isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Like I am taking all this risk, whether we have a good month or a bad month. I'm sorry, if we have a bad month, I'm out multiple 10 figures or not 10 figures, uh, multiple tens of thousands of dollars. Right. right. That's the fun part of scaling. Yeah, man. It's definitely the fun part for sure. Seamoss <laughs> uh, has a good question to close it out with, but I do want to uh, go over to M. Smeliansky. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Uh, can you give me acquisition tips, please, before you guys get off? <laughs> so you guys want to give him a few tips? Yeah, I'll let Chris go first yeah. and now correct him. Look, acquisition tips is, is simple. Market aggressively. Like you, 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 you eat what you kill. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with a couple of my, my students the other week and, uh, some of them are probably watching this. So I, I say this respectfully, you know, got, you guys know how I get down. And so I'm in this coaching call and it's like, I think like 15 of us or something. I can't remember. And I'm like, Hey, how many texts are y'all sending out, you know, on a daily basis? Like how many texts? Cause they're like, man, I'm not getting deals. I'm not. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? And, uh, he's like, yeah, like, no, I'm sending out 200 texts a day. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, bro, bro, you're never going to do a deal <laughs> sending out 200 texts in a day. But then yeah. everybody on the call is like, yeah, I'm sending out a hundred. I'm sending out 150. You have to, you have to look at this aggressively. You, everybody gets into the business, right? And they're like, how do I bootstrap it? How do mm -hmm. I do this without having to spend a bunch of money? How do I do this without doing this, doing that? Just be aggressive. Like if you want to make money, create a process and the infrastructure and then spend money and you're, you're I promise you'll make money 100%. Yeah. I don't blame them though. Cause like, what's the marketing that all the gurus do, right? Like what do like all our peers, like what's the marketing we get to get people in the wholesaling, right? It's on our Instagram, it's on our Facebook, TikToks, right? Right. Buy houses with no money. So then they come point. in and we're like, Hey, you gotta spend money to buy houses. Like that, that's not what the, <laughs> that was not what the ad copy said. Right. No, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. So I get that's it. Right. Point. I get where they're coming from. But yeah, for me, I would say acquisitions. I think the big thing is setting the proper expectations. You know, I, I think a lot of people, they go to buy a house and the way you sell your selling style is just the way you would naturally buy. Right. And so you go in there and you try to talk to them and like be friends with them. And if, you, if they like you, then they're going to do business with you. Right. And I think you just got to change your perspective of buying a house is it's a game. You know, like we don't, how many friends have you heard? It's like, I'm tired of playing the game to date, you know? But the reality is if you're not playing the game, you're not getting married. It's the same thing here, right? If you don't want to play this game, this dance is occurring at the house, you're not buying houses. So you got to change your mindset. You got to change the way you approach the appointment. And I think it starts with setting the proper expectations. Hey, Chris, you know, when I come over tomorrow, if I can make an offer that makes sense for you, you know, it checks all your boxes, would you feel comfortable making a commitment to working with me? Right. That's just on the phone 100%. call. Right. Yeah. Now I'm sending the expectation like, hey, I'm coming over to buy your house. Then the beginning of the appointment. Hey, Chris, you know, 
I'm going to ask you some questions. You're going to ask me some questions at the end. You know, you could tell me no. You can tell me yes. Either way is all right. You know, if I make you an offer, it doesn't work for you. Would you just feel, would you just feel comfortable telling me it's not going to work? Right. And we're saying the right expectations of yes or no. Right. Versus kind of this whole thing where we just come in and we kind of hang out. We're buddies. And like, if you like me and I know about your kids, I know about your cats and all these other things that you're going to you're going to sell your house to me. Hold on now, boss. You're giving a lot of free game. They got to pay for that, okay? We got a seminar coming up. <laughs> there you go. There you go. See, uh, boss, it's a close of this episode out. Now, you kind of answered this already, CJ. Uh, who has the better offensive basketball, Kyrie or Ja? Yeah, uh, definitely Ja, man. I mean, <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Kyrie is, is magical with the ball, but Ja Morant's just got that killer in him, man. I feel like you got to have that switch. And uh, it, it's it's fun watching him play. It's one fun watching him do his thing, and uh, he's creating a great culture and dynamic with his team. There it is. Yeah, I'm not watching enough basketball, but I am a big Kyrie fan, right? I just love that uh, he's got he can get wherever he wants to go on the court, wherever he wants to go on the court, and once he gets there, he's not missing, right? He's got ice cold veins, right? Like he's not emotional. You know, he's not, he, he doesn't have that, uh, I want to murder you vibe like Kobe and MJ did, right? Right. But he's also ice cold that he's going to make it when it counts. So I love Kyrie. I, I would, uh, when they were talking about, you know, uh, some trades, like, man, I would love if we had Kyrie instead of CP3, I think it's a done deal. Dang. No doubt. You said it, Chris Paul on the way out. I like. I it. love CP3. <laughs> I love CP3. You just your legs can't give out when it matters the most. All right there you go. There you go. Um, all right, that is the end of the list as far as questions that we have. So uh, I do want to ask you guys if you have any last minute points or anything you do want to say. Just a reminder to everyone: make sure you do like, comment, and subscribe on this and all of the PTD clips that are on the part of the disruption channel. Uh, go ahead, guys. Let's sign off. Anything you want? Uh, you want to go first, Chris? Yeah, sure. Uh, I had a blast, man. It was a great conversation. I think today it was good to hang out and just chop it up and, and talk about stuff and give perspective. Uh, so shout out to everybody, man. Uh, you can find me on IG at the Chris Jefferson. Uh, if you want to chat, shoot me a message. Much love. Yeah, and the, I mean, these are the kind of conversations, right, that Chris actually and I will have uh, when we're not too busy right. to call each other, you know. So, you know, you guys got a chance to ins uh, hear the insight. And I think the, you know, these questions, I love these questions. Uh, so... Uh, you know, my team is saying I need to go live more often. So if you guys think, you know, I should go live more often, you know, give us some thumbs up, do a share. Let me know if this is the right thing because my team's on my butt about this and I keep <laughs> telling them I don't want to. So <laughs> if you guys find value, uh, you know, let us know here. Uh, let, let the algorithms know. There it is. Thank you guys all for the uh, comments, for the interaction, the engagement, for tuning in. Make sure you follow these guys individually. And we will see you next week, 11.30 a.m.-ish, for another episode of PTD.